So this afternoon we'll be focusing on the visit between Mary and Elizabeth, a short exchange, uh, especially Elizabeth's words to Mary. But I'd like to read the whole thing because you see, you see in this conversation the Spirit comes upon John, then comes upon Elizabeth, then comes upon Mary. And so we have this, this spirit-filled conversation, as it were. So reading from Luke 1, beginning at verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy." as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So far, the reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, the opening passage of Luke provides us a picture of what the waiting Christian looks like, waiting upon God, waiting upon the final return of Jesus Christ. We wait in hope. This is not a half hope. Maybe God will do something, but a firm hope. And the firmness of this hope is grounded in faith. We trust, we believe that God is king. And as king, he is almighty all-powerful, and he is good. He will vindicate his people. He will prove that his people were right to believe in him. Finally, God grants us a community bound in the love of the Spirit as we wait for his coming. Love is the hands and feet of the firm hope that God has given us. We long for the coming of Christ. We long for his righteousness and peace. But by God's grace, we also enjoy something of that now. We can experience the love of brothers and sisters in Christ. We can honor one another and encourage one another in the Lord. 
So much so that we may, with the baby John, jump for joy in the presence of the Lord. In our passage today, we see the joy of the community of God at the coming of Christ. Particularly, we see how God uses the community of God to honor Mary, honor Mary as the vessel through whom God has decided to send his son. And so I bring you the word of the Lord today under the theme, The Spirit Honors Mary. First through John, and second through Elizabeth. So how does the Spirit honor Mary? The Spirit honors Mary through her communion with brothers and sisters in Christ. God has chosen Mary for one of the greatest tasks that can be given to a person here on earth. The bearing in her womb of the Son of God. It's interesting to think about this because we all know that pregnancy is not a particularly glamorous thing. Pregnancy suggests that the, the, the truth that God uses weakness to produce strength. That truth is built into the nature of this world. When the world falls under the curse, God chooses the seed of the woman as the way in which he will provide salvation. This is the gift that God has given Mary. Mary lives out the birth pangs of the nation of Israel as she waited for her Savior, the Anointed One of God. She lives out those birth pangs in her own body. Our passage today opens with Mary headed out toward her cousin Elizabeth. The sense of this text was that this happened fairly quickly after Mary had received news from the angel, from the angel Gabriel. She is going to see the sign that the angel angel Gabriel gave to her, the fact that her cousin Elizabeth is with child. No doubt this is also an opportunity for her to share the news that has been given to her with a trusted relative. She's excited about this coming child. Wherever Elizabeth lived, and we're not exactly sure, it would have taken a couple days for Mary to come from Nazareth in Galilee to the hill country of Judah. And we read that she went with haste demonstrating her desire to confirm the angel's words to her and her desire to commune with her cousin. Mary comes into the house to greet Elizabeth. And then something amazing happens. As soon as the words of Mary are heard, Hello! The baby John leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. Without what we would call rational understanding, the baby John somehow recognizes the entrance of the mother of his Lord. Presumably through the power of the Spirit, the baby John leaps in the womb of Mary. This is no, sorry, the baby John leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. This is no ordinary moment. 
And we can see that from what Elizabeth will shortly say. This is a movement of joy. We, all, we also may say that this is due to the movement of the Spirit, even though that's not explicitly in our text. We know from the story of Zechariah, the promise of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah, that John is promised to be a man of the Spirit. Here we already have the parallels between the work the Spirit does in the womb of Mary and the work the Spirit does in our hearts. That is more explicit in a passage like John 3, the call to be born from above. The Spirit must come and renew. So we have the Spirit working this new creation in Mary's womb, and we have this work of regeneration that is already pictured going on in John, baby John. What we have here in Luke is an image of what the Spirit-filled church will look like. Pastors have often heard echoes of 2 Samuel 6 here. God brings the ark into Jerusalem and David responds through leaping and dancing before the Lord. Why? Because the ark signifies the presence of the Lord. The ark is the mercy seat that God commanded he be built in Exodus. In the ark are the tablets of the law and Aaron's budding rod. Pictures of, of the word of the Lord and the life and authority of the Lord. David's feeling of joy in 2 Samuel 6 is strengthened by the fact that the ark has been in exile. The beginning of 1 Samuel, we're told that the Philistines took the ark from Israel. Through marvelous signs, God brought the ark back to Israel proper. But it was not until David's time that the ark was brought to its proper place, the place where the Lord would put his name. David can rejoice because now he can see that God is present with his people. Mary, with, with a new work of God in her womb, represents the return of the presence of God among his people. At the time of Christ, with the tyrant King Herod ruling over Judea, there's a sense that God is no longer among his people. But now Mary's womb contains the word of God and the life of God. In her womb is Emmanuel, God with us. God has chosen to be with his people in a new way. Mary is a picture of Israel, the one whom God has chosen to dwell with. Mary is also a picture of the church indwelt by the Holy Spirit. John leaps at this new manifestation of what God is doing among his people. Let's think about that for a moment. We come to church to fellowship with one another and to fellowship with God. The church in the Bible, it's not the building that we use for worship, but the gathering of all the Christian individuals coming together to worship God. We come among a people who are full of the Spirit of God. We don't often think about it this way, 
But this may help us understand why Paul encourages the people he writes to to give one another a holy kiss. Not just a kiss, but a holy kiss. A kiss, of course, is a way of honoring one another in in that culture. A holy kiss is honoring something that is holy by another thing that is holy. It's a proper practice for a people that God considers a fit dwelling place for his spirit. Now, I'm not saying that we need to institute the holy kiss. We have different ways of honoring one another today. Rather, I'm explaining why it may have been so important to Paul. This is also helpful in in answering those who give special significance to images or paintings as as ways to enjoy the presence of God. God has given a far better image of himself in one another. We, you and I, are being conformed to the image of Christ, and in one another we find the image of Christ and the person of the Spirit. In general, we don't run the risk here either of worshiping one another instead of God. If we're seeking to obey Christ and exhorting and encouraging one another, we probably know how imperfectly that image of Christ is revealed in one another. Yet, however imperfectly, we represent Christ to one another more than any painting or statue could possibly do. That's why we don't, we don't need that. We don't need that to better worship God. What we need is to come among the people of God. Come among a spirit-dwelt people. We should also note the simple joy the baby John has in having Christ come before him. That too applies to our joy in receiving one another, but even more in receiving Christ in our worship. God has chosen to especially be with us in the gathering of believers, and we should receive that with joy. Now, John leaping in Elizabeth's womb, or David leaping before the ark, those happen at significant moments in the life of Israel, moments when the favor of God is realized in a new way. Most of the time, Israelite worship is very ordinary. Day-to-day worship is going to look much more ordinary. And most of the time, the way we experience worship will be very ordinary as well. We don't observe one another in one another the ecstatic outburst of John upon receiving Christ. And that's not necessarily wrong. From week to week, we don't necessarily have the same feeling of joy upon approaching God as we may have had at certain points in our life. I hope we can think back to those points. Perhaps we felt that joy at a moment when some doctrine became clear to us. Or we particularly felt the peace of the Spirit in our heart. Or we felt particularly moved with grief or joy upon singing a certain song or hearing a certain passage. A lot of the time that doesn't happen is just the regular fight to pray and to pay attention to the sermon and to force ourselves to participate fully in worship. Worship will not always be exciting in different circumstances. Yet, yet, that joy 
still defines us. For even in these very ordinary circumstances, the Spirit is still working powerfully within us. The joy that John has, the joy that the baby John has, is something that should define our lives. We Christians are the most privileged of all people. We hear a lot about privilege today. We're the most privileged of all people. And that's a good thing. Those Christians in third world countries and other nations that are being persecuted by their leaders, that are being shot in the street, they're the most privileged group of all people. We have been chosen and brought into the church of God. And we want to share that privilege with others. We want to sing of the wonders that the Lord has done. You can think of Psalm 90, that line, May our children marvel at your grandeur. To marvel goes, goes beyond simply knowing God's work. To marvel is to ponder upon, to understand our own ability to express or to outline God's glory. Here the child of Elizabeth expresses his marvel at the new work of God. Let's pray that our children too may have the same joy in coming before God. Let's pray for that joy and peace as we approach God. Brings us to our second point, through Elizabeth. John moves by the power of the Spirit, and now Elizabeth is moved by the Spirit. She exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is a way of giving Mary honor before all other women, the type of honor a, a queen mother would receive. Mary, after all, is the queen mother, that is, the mother of the king that will take the throne of David. Now, the only other la lady in the Bible who, who receives this type of praise is actually not a queen mother. It's rather Jael. Jael, the woman who in, in the book of Judges puts a tent peg through the head of Sisera, the man who is currently attacking the nation of Israel. And it's interesting to note the image of revenge upon the serpent here. Jael has literally crushed the serpent's head. It's interesting, too, that like Adam in the garden, this is in the context of a male abdication of authority. Just as Adam abdicated his authority in the garden, so Barak abdicated his authority to Deborah. And so the triumph of that battle, the triumph over that serpent Sisera was given to a woman. And this is now fulfilled in a virgin who conceives the ultimate serpent slayer. A virgin who conceives without the help of any man. Now, Roman Catholics will often use this in order to give 
greater glory to Mary than she is given in the gospel, calling her the queen of heaven, making her even greater than Jesus. You can see this. Perhaps you've seen this image of Mary where she's pictured standing on top of the head of a serpent. Now, that's not entirely untrue. But in Scripture, it's actually the saints that in Christ, the saints, including Mary, that in Christ are given the honor of crushing the head of the serpent. In Romans 16, 20, Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The figure of Mary and her blessing here points us to this truth. Ultimately, to give Mary more honor than she ought to have. Ultimately, that dishonors Mary, for she would rightly point to her son as the one deserving all honor, power, and authority. We should honor Mary according to the honor that she is given in Scripture. And we can certainly see that she is honored here. Not only does Elizabeth call her the first among women, She also humbles herself before Mary. She adds to her blessing these words. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is the older woman, and in that society, the greater honor belongs to her. Elizabeth could focus on that. Or she could look at the situation as highly unfair. After all, she had to wait decades for a baby. While God granted a baby so quickly to this young lady that is before her. Instead, she gladly humbles herself before this young lady and praises her. Just notice the contrast between Elizabeth And Michael from 2 Samuel 6, Michael sees David dancing before the Lord and she responds with envy. Elizabeth welcomes and honors her young cousin. Remember again that the the honor is due to Mary not because Mary is inherently worthy of honor, but because of how God has honored her. She is honored because she is the mother of Elizabeth's Lord. Elizabeth confirms this by relating to Mary how baby John leaped in her womb upon Mary's entrance into the house. This is evidence of the glorious work that is being done in Mary's life. But Elizabeth also honors Mary for her faith. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. God has worked powerfully in the life of Mary so that she was faithful. And Elizabeth honors her for that. One of the unintended side effects of the Reformation was that there was a reaction against honoring the martyrs and the saints throughout Christian history. This was never the intention of the reformers or or the many other church leaders throughout the last 500 years. We can see that in a work like Fox's Book of Martyrs, where the Protestant Fox seeks to remember those who died for the sake of recovering Scripture 
and the assurance that comes with it. But sometimes fear of honoring men above God has turned into a forgetfulness toward men and women who have been fearless in living faithfully before Christ. Now, I don't necessarily say that's a problem here, but it's good to remind ourselves of, of the importance, the importance of recognizing God's work in one another's lives, in recognizing God's work in history and the people he has used for the sake of his church. Often there's also a lack of honor extended especially toward living saints. Now, it's much harder to honor a living saint than to honor a dead saint. Once again, remember that God has chosen the saints so that they may exhibit the faith he works within them. They are to be honored for their humility and faith. Here we see Elizabeth humbling herself freely recognizing the faith that was in Mary and that was lacking in her own husband. If you remember the story of of Zechariah when he met the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel Gabriel gave his words to Zechariah, telling them that that his wife would conceive, Zechariah didn't believe it. So there's a contrast between Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah did not believe the words of the angel. Mary did believe the words of the angel. Here we see Elizabeth humbling herself, freely recognizing the faith that was in Mary and that was lacking in her own husband. She doesn't think about her own rights as the elder woman, but praises Mary. And perhaps we would be better able to exhort or critique one another in love if we were also able to honor one another in this way. When we do see one another living out our faith with a righteousness and a holiness that goes against the grain of our society. And I say this knowing that I am the first that needs to grow in this area. This is part of Paul's call in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. This is the work of the Spirit, energizing each one of us so that we may recognize the fruit in one another. Just as the Spirit caused Elizabeth to recognize the fruit in Mary's womb, because she had even, before she had even told Elizabeth about what God was working in that womb. Let's focus for a moment on honoring one another for those things that are not honored in our society. How often are men and women honored by fellow Christians? And I speak of the church as a whole here, not not just the Canadian Reformed, though certainly including the Canadian Reformed. How often are men and women honored for seeking to defend God's acts in Genesis 1? Or God's way of defining sexuality? Isn't this an act of faithfulness that deserves honor in the world we live, especially since it goes against the grain of our society's beliefs? Too often these things turn into a critique of method and style. He was too harsh or he was too easy. And we lose the big picture. 
the big picture is that we want humble faithfulness to God before men. God is first. Like Elizabeth, we should honor those who exhibit a trust in everything that God says. Now to bring the matter a little closer to home. There's another rather unpopular but biblical teaching in our churches today that we should be honoring one another for. And that's the matter that God calls a wife to submit to her husband. I think of this because of how Mary reflects the gentle and quiet spirit that Peter and Paul call wives to exhibit. And the strangeness of Elizabeth giving honor to a younger woman. Mary is presented in Luke as an honorable example. And this is part of Elizabeth's praise for her. Now, this submission should be defined biblically. We can begin by noting that there's no necessity to submit to an obscene man or a cruel man. But let's take a minute to think what holy women look like in the Bible who submit. Mary is a godly woman who is submissive to her betrothed and yet is also able to sing the Magnificat. Sarah is a godly woman who obeys her husband Abraham and yet also asks him to send the mocking Ishmael away. We can reasonably say that's not a perfect request. However, this is a request that Abraham heeds. And Peter honors Sarah, saying that she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and using her as an example to follow in 1 Peter 3, verses 5 through 6. So understanding that submission is not merely silence, and that both husband and wife have spheres of authority, do we honor those women among us who believe the word of God and continue to submit to their husbands in the midst of the intense pressures of society? I think of my own mother. She went with my father, um, who is a missionary, to the city of Toronto, not her favorite place. She opened the house to all types of people, supporting my father in his, in his work and reaching out to the people of Toronto. I know, and my dad knows, that he is not a perfect man. And yet my mom put on a, a gentle and quiet spirit in her relationship to him. And I can say that knowing that my mother was a fighter at the same time. I honor her. And we should honor the women in our lives who demonstrate that gentle and quiet spirit. This is especially honorable in a world that looks down, looks down on such an attitude. Elizabeth could have focused on all the advantages Mary had in her situation that would have produced the obedient spirit she exhibited before God. She did not. She praised her. So let's honor one another when the fruit of the spirit is evident in one another's lives. This doesn't need to be big and flashy. That's not necessarily more meaningful. Here in our story, this is a, a private conversation between two cousins. We all know how to critique one another, and that needs to be done. We're called to exhort one another. That's part of being encouraging. Let's also learn to honor one another for the good things that God is working in each one of us.
Let's return for a moment to the one who indwells us so that we may do these things. The Holy Spirit who indwelled John, then Elizabeth, and then Mary in turn, so that they encouraged one another and praised God. It's only by him that we are able to mortify, mortify the envy and the pride that would cause us to despise one another and laugh at one another. Rather than putting on, putting on the humility and gentleness that gives us the desire to honor one another. John, Elizabeth, and Mary give us a picture of what it means to let the word of God indwell us. And to to see that indwelling spirit turn into a song. They're waiting for Jesus. They know he is coming. Jesus is already there in the womb of Mary. In a short time, he will be born. This is cause for great joy and gladness among the people of God. Jesus is come, and he is coming again. As we wait, not everything is suffering, not everything is sadness and gloom. Rather, Christ permits us to approach his throne and find joy in him and joy in the church the people all around us whom he has given to us as gifts. All as we wait on him to set things right. Come, Lord Jesus. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's respond by singing from Psalm 132, Psalm 132, verses 6 through 10.